0: and good evening this is episode number 17 of the tech travel geeks podcast i'm Matteo, the chief mobile opinionist at tech travel geeks and sadly this evening we won't be joined by lukash our chief aperture officer because lukash is on a plane to miami So safe travels to Lukash. I'm sure he'll catch up on this episode at some point whilst he's in Miami or on a heavy metal cruise of the Caribbean called Seventy Thousand Tons of Metal. But in the meantime, I'm joined by someone who I've been an acquaintance of. We keep on bumping into each other at events uh, around the world, and I lovingly refer to as a traditional journalist. Please welcome to the Tech Travel Geeks podcast, Andy Boxall of digital trends good evening Andy good evening thank you very much for having me it's a pleasure to have you and you're obviously one of the one of the the veterans of the the tech industry and reporting you you know what you're talking about and you travel a lot for covering and simplifying and explaining things to your your audience which is a very significant one so thanks for joining us um who is Andy Boxall Let's find out more about you. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, Well,
1: I'm obviously Andy Boxer, and I write about mobile for Digital Trends, and I have done for seven years thereabouts. Um, But I started off doing news purely because I was on the other side of the world to where Digital Trends is located. They're in Portland, Oregon, and I'm in South London, so I would cover the the times when they were all sleeping and I was awake. And then eventually, um, as I got more familiar and I got more opportunities, it built up from there to doing some longer pieces, doing some reviews, doing some features, um, and then it exploded from there. (laughs) And I'm now senior writer and I write um, pretty much anything and everything for the mobile section. So that's me now.
0: Excellent. So you're, as I referred to you, the the traditional journalist. Uh, We keep on bumping into each other at various events uh, related to the mobile industry. Uh, I think most recently was the Huawei Mate 20 Pro event in London. Mm. And you seem to be getting around quite a lot. This week you got back from a French city called Paris. What were you doing in Paris this week?
1: So I was in Paris this week to see the launch of the
0: Honor View 20. Wow, so that's the Huawei sub-brand Honor uh, launching their latest flagship. And you that's, can see it glowing there. That's very shiny. Is that an is. arrow f- arrow symbol
1: in it? It is. They've this is because the V, see, clever, isn't it? That they have a V shape in the glass back and it all points down to the Honor logo at the bottom there. How cool is that? And wow. it really does look awesome. I'm mean, Everybody who sees it's like, wow, what is that? So I was there to see the launch of the Honor View 20. Very and good. I've been lucky enough to see that in China at the end of last year, too. So it wasn't new, new to me, but uh, this was the Europe, uh, the international launch, I should say.
0: So this oh. is the official official international launch. Obviously, Honor is a Chinese brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, they focus primarily on their home market. And once they've nailed that, they then move to, to international. Yes. So you mentioned you are in China uh, late last year to see the launch of the Honor View 20. Um, that's a very, very shiny device. Do you think that's a, a selling point in China? Um,
1: I actually think it's a selling point everywhere. Um, phones don't change much in terms of shape over the last couple of years. So when they get something that makes them stand out, whether that's pop-up cameras or flashy paint jobs like this, I think that's a good thing. It gives it identity. People will look at it and know what it is. I mean, I'm sure when you go to mobile events or you're anywhere where there's lots of people with smartphones, the one you notice is the one that looks different because otherwise it's either all an iPhone or it's all just a black device, and that's dull. And who wants to look at those things? I want to look at shiny things. I want to be able to have identity with my phone. And yeah, it's a big thing for me. I think it's cool to have something that looks unique.
0: Yes, oh, Honor have been doing this. I'd say they they're the first to do this properly internationally since two thousand and sixteen with the Honor Eight. Mm uh in the tiktok product release of of honor uh the view or v series is the the january version of their flagship usually with a slightly larger screen but uh very good cameras usually the latest huawei chipset in them that they're, they're great devices so you sh- you mentioned there's this this laser etched uh multi glass layer uh Back with with a V shape pointing at the honor brand, calling out the fact this this is a V or View series device. What's special about it on the other side? What's special about the screen on the View Twenty?
1: So, what's special about the screen is a punch hole. There's no notch here. You get instead a little tiny cutout where your camera goes. So. This is the anti-iPhone in terms of that. There's no notch. There's no disturbance in the same way that that brings. You still get that bar across the top, so you can see notifications and stuff like that. So the punch hole camera is the first time we've seen it internationally, right? Outside of devices launched in China. And that's definitely what makes that cool. And it it's because yes.
0: of my trip to China, actually. Awesome. So, so you went to China. Uh, I'm assuming as a guest of Huawei for yep. the for the launch of the the what is internationally known as the View Twenty. What other devices were launched around about the same time uh, in China? God, you're quizzing me. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> is there um, any, an Oppo phone? Right? Is there? Uh, there, there's, is an Opo, there
1: there's an Oppo.
0: There's an Oppo phone, but I'm s- specifically in the Honor sphere. I think it was the Honor magic oh, the magic 2 yeah yes yeah. which is something that we're not sure if it's going to come to the western side of the world but has again a very different approach to hardware ergonomics it's a very different product which in a way speaks to honor as a brand being a, a brand that's trying really new and innovative things mm. what, what's special about the magic 2
1: so that has a slider camera um, I've got one somewhere but not to hand so it just you slide the screen down and the camera appears at the top of The phone so the screen actually physically moves down um, It was it always reminds me of uh, Which Nokia was it the Nokia? N- the N95 yeah, that's it where you'd slide it down. You have the controls at the side. It's kind of like that. <laughs>
0: So not something entirely new, but within this generation of mobile devices, it is a new feature. Mm. And its, its main purpose is, is apparently to, to give us more screen experience and less bezel, to have as, as an immersive experience as possible mm. without having a big bezel, therefore making it more portable. And do you find that that's helped with the, the Honor View 20? Uh, with the
1: V20 or the the Magic 2.
0: Well, but both of them since you've used and both. The Magic
1: 2 it's fine but it wasn't very it wasn't very fast because you'd use it had finger unlock on the screen, in-display fingerprint sensor. That's slow and it's not very good just like all of them, certainly not an honor problem. So you'd use a face unlock, which which meant sliding down the screen to show the front camera to unlock it. So you were taking twice as long to actually get into the device because they were adopting that in-display fingerprint sensor, which is useless, and then forcing me to physically move the phone to have that face unlock. Whereas if you use a device like the Mate 20 Pro, The face unlock is already done before you can even think about putting your finger on the in display fingerprint sensor. So, yes, I get a nice big screen, but it takes me longer to get into that big screen. So, that's why I think, in terms of um, giving me more usable screen real estate, the Honor Phone works much better because it's, I, I don't notice this, I just end up ignoring it. And particularly in sort of landscape. Use like this, if you're playing games or if you're doing anything at all, it's hidden. It, if you're holding it right around, the, right, right, it's hidden under your thumb. And you don't know yeah. that at all. So, so especially
0: it, especially with video, if it's in 16 to 9 aspect ratio, because the device's screen is longer, that hole punch notch becomes a, a non-issue. Very
1: much so, yeah. Way less, in, way less intrusive than a, a full notch or even a teardrop notch at the top is. It's definitely, in my view, the optimum notch replacement that we can do at the moment until we can get rid of them in time.
0: <laughs> Very good. So you, you mentioned notch. Let's categorize notch types, <laughs> and you can rate them from best to worst. So full notch, iPhone style, mm-hmm. or Pocophone style. Yep. Teardrop notch, bathtub notch. Bathtub the notch. pixel. That's the Pixel 3 XL. Oh, God, OK, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the punch hole notch. Which is best, which is worse? and which one's fit in the middle?
1: OK, um, well, the, the winner and the loser are clear, in my opinion. Um, the winner, as I've just said, definitely the punch hole, for sure, is the best way to do it at the moment. The worst, by a long stretch, is the Pixel XL, Pixel 3 XL. It's just awful. Um, Teardrop is close to being very, very good, but it still looks a bit weird. Um, so I think I'd just put that alongside the iPhone one. The iPhone one I don't mind because it really does have a reason to be there. Yeah, I so- have got this, I'm going to say now because we sort of led into it. This is the Finny phone, Siren Labs Finny phone, their cryptocurrency phone. And it's got a notch and lots of bezel above it and i'm not quite sure why it's there at all because it doesn't have anything extra in there and that's what bothers me about notches if they don't really serve much of a purpose right the teardrop is nice because it's only got the camera not this huge waste
0: of space that makes sense. So um, you, you mentioned teardrop notches. Do you think there's that the the phone manufacturers are doing notches uh, specifically around price points because the cost of having a notch or different types of uh, notches make the make the price of the device go up or down? Because I th- I've noticed that there's a lot of mid to low range devices now. Having teardrop notches, a teardrop notch for our listeners is the notch that's pretty unintrusive, but it's at the top of the screen and it's just a little teardrop that goes from the top bezel down to to cover that. And I've noticed that with the Huawei P Smart 2019, it has a very tasteful uh, notch whilst giving the almost full screen experience to the mid to low range of the market. And also with the OPPO A7X, also known as the OPPO F9. Um, so this seems to be something that is obviously easier to, to achieve at a lower price point, going by what the current smartphone manufacturers are doing. But it's good. We I think we've settled that. We agree on what the the hierarchy of notches is so you're with me on those on that (laughs) yes obviously this is the the classic uh, conversation purely on aesthetics and functionality (laughs) but what functionality is included if it's got laser point or even two selfie cameras I would be okay with a with a full notch but definitely not a bathtub notch no no
1: no there's absolutely no need (laughs)
0: <laughs> good, so um, I think we've covered notches and the core things of what took you to Paris, so obviously, you were in paris in in January. what was it like how How was your your travel experience there? What did you do when you were there, and what was it like coming home?
1: Well, it was very brief all round. I was there for less than twenty four hours, so in terms of anything I saw in Paris, it was slim. I saw Gardenord and the hotel and the event space. So it was not a tourist trip. It was, let's go to the event and let's come back. But I went by Eurostar. I didn't fly to Paris. So I went to St Pancras in London and then took the international train across directly into the center of Paris. And paris or france generally was quite snowy and the train was slower than usual they went they told us even before we got on that there was going to be a speed restriction in france because of the the weather and it was snow because it's quite a countryside route that goes through its fields either side and that was covered in snow both there and back so it was a lot slower than usual And much as I like the Eurostar for the experience, it's not a long, (laughs) long journey train. I really, I didn't want to be on there for three hours. Two hours was enough. And that final hour was a struggle both ways.
0: So it wasn't just the French customer service. It was the actual ergonomics of the seats, was it? (laughs) Yes,
1: very much so. Yeah, it's... uh, it's it's fine for a short enough amount of time, but after three hours, you just want to not sit in those seats and move about and do stuff, but it's not that easy.
0: Very good. So, you had a snowy less than 24 hours in Paris. Yeah. And... Gare du Nord is in the very centre of Paris. It's the historic train station, so you're right in the centre of town. That's probably one of the big advantages of uh, travelling to Paris by Eurostar. You don't Absolutely. have to handle getting to an airport, going through security. It's well, you go through a bit of security, but it's not as stringent as uh, going on a plane, and it's usually shorter A to B. Yeah. So that's yeah, definitely
1: if you live in London, it's extremely easy i still got an hour's journey to get into london so it's a a lot longer really in terms of (laughs) it would take me to go to gatwick which is 10 minutes (laughs) compared to an hour to get to st Pancras. so it's actually a little bit longer but it's a nicer experience like you say there's very little security and the train is a more pleasant experience to travel than the plane
0: very good so uh, where where you have the option do you prefer uh, travelling by rail?
1: Um, yeah, but it doesn't really turn up that often. Plane is very convenient and I tend to travel further away than the train makes things easy. I don't like travelling by train in England because it's always slow and late and crowded um, and expensive. But I've taken trains in Japan and in um and across sort of Europe generally, and they're always so nice. It's just a more civilised experience. People are more calm, I think, as travellers, sitting on a train than they are in sitting on a plane anyway.
0: Nice. Yes, I'd say that's, that's true. It's easier to get on and off as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, real real travel is something the UK has some catching up to do compared to the rest of the world. Uh, I was recently in China on holiday with my partner, and we had uh, quite a few journeys on high-speed trains. It really was a pleasant experience, and it was very affordable. Uh, We went from Shenzhen to to Guangzhou and from Guangzhou to Zhuhai, and it was very, very fast, comfortable, smooth, and the service was excellent. So next time I go to China, uh, if there there is a a need... And if the timings are right, I will choose to travel by rail rather than by plane. Right,
1: yeah, yeah, I can see that for China particularly, because the planes can be a an interesting experience and not an easy one. Quite often, certainly the slowest.
0: <laughs> so I, I was really surprised. Did you hear today's news about China and air travel? No. Uh, so the the Chinese civil equivalent of the Civil Aviation Authority has finally passed a ban on cabin crew and pilots smoking in the cockpit. Whereas passengers up to now had were strictly forbidden from smoking on aircraft, the cabin crew and and pilots were allowed to do so, provided they were in the in the cockpit, which is is very strange to me, but uh, it's good to hear that this is starting to happen. It's, it's obviously part of the different culture. Smoking is still socially acceptable in, in, in China. It's extremely affordable. Uh, a, a package of premium cigarettes is about $1.50, one and a half dollars. So uh, it's understandable why that's happening. But I think that it's it's good that China's catching up. If anything, it will only make things better.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I didn't know that was the case.
0: <laughs> yeah i I didn't either until it came up in my in my uh sort of travel and aviation feeds this morning. I was quite surprised by it but good good to hear it means it's safer air travel for everyone absolutely.
1: I was really surprised when I took an internal flight in China recently about um the amount of rules and regulations that I read out to you on board. I'm used to the sort of the don't smoke and do these things, do, don't do do those things. But this was really specific. It was very much, don't abuse the cabin crew. Don't, and I thought, I didn't really need to announce that. I don't think I'd been on a plane before where I was told, you know, don't abuse the cabin crew. It's not, We we won't accept that. And it also, the announcement covered, there is audio and video recording on this aircraft. And that had never been said to me in any other plane except in China either. And it, you really struck me as strange at the time because they did it in both Chinese, obviously, and in English. They were really making it very clear that I was being recorded in every which way and yes. in every part of the plane.
0: I, I actually understood why they, they say that. So uh, around about this time last year, I travelled to Singapore. I worked from from my employer's office in Singapore for a couple of weeks, and to both get a, a better experience of travel and to to stick with my my loyalty uh, with the Sky Team Alliance, I decided to fly a combination of KLM and China Southern. And in the Amsterdam to Guangzhou leg of my trip, the, well, there was a dedicated security guard uh, sitting next to me in business class who had the body camera on and microphones and a cell phone reception uh, sensor, which could pick up if there was an active cell phone. So on the ground, this thing was flashing, and he was just making sure that uh, it was okay. But when he was in the air, if he saw this, he would have obviously intervened. But he was carrying the equivalent of a GoPro with infrared lighting, so little uh, not visible to human eye lighting. And walking up and down the aisles of the plane uh, just making sure everything was okay so wow. I understand why why they make those announcements and this was a, a obviously some sort of Marshall uh, working on behalf of China Southern making sure everything was okay which in a way made me more comfortable about mm. flying which is good so there was an actual cell phone
1: signal detector that he had constantly working
0: yes Wow so it's very interesting. Uh, obviously, China being uh, part of the world with a different cultural approach to technology and cust- social customs around the use of technology, uh, China is the person- place I've seen most comments about power banks when traveling. Mm. So they make very specific rule, very specific and very enforced rules about what you can put in your check-in luggage, including lithium-ion batteries and that you're not allowed to use the lithium-ion batteries to charge other devices in-flight, and you're not allowed to charge them from the in-flight uh, power sockets, which is very, very interesting. Mm. Have you ever encountered issues with that, Andy? <laughs> yes.
1: On both, <laughs> both trips to China, um, I thought I was being so smart on the second because the first time a colleague was caught with a power bank that was a little bit over the capacity they allowed for his hand luggage and had to go somewhere else or vice versa. So this time I thought, I'll be really smart and I'll take, I'll put my batteries here and I'll make sure that I can go through it. But I got stopped when I got to the second part of the check-in process to go through security. And they'd said that my bag had been flagged for a battery inside. So you have to go to another room where there are men opening your suitcase and you have to identify the battery. And the battery was a camera battery. So small, whatever they are, 750 milliamp hours, something like that. And that was in my bag, loose. They would have the one in my camera without a problem, but the loose battery was the problem. So I had to take it out of my case and put it in my hand luggage. And that was really surprising to me that, the battery in the camera that was in my case, no problem. The same battery in another bag inside my case was a problem. They really go into it seriously. Nothing escapes their eye.
0: They definitely do. Coming back from Singapore last year, I picked what I thought was a very tasteful gift for a friend of ours, Wilkin Lee, oh. and uh, my, my and my partner Candice. I found some Pokemon Go shaped uh, Pokeball power banks. They were 10,000 milliamp power ones, but I thought, great gifts. I know exactly who to get these for. Put them in my bag, checked them in, and uh, completely forgot about them until I got to Edinburgh, and my suitcase wasn't there. And then it was a couple of days before I got my suitcase, my checked-in bag back, and there was, it had been opened, and there was a nice note note from uh, the Chinese equivalent of the Civil Aviation Authority letting me know that I should not have had a lithium-ion battery in my bag, that it had been removed, and this is why it had been removed. And totally fair, I had forgotten I had them in there, but they were very strict, and they actually enforced that. And that's what made my bag not make it through to... to uh, Edinburgh. But uh, interesting and very clear uh, indicator of a potential issue. Uh, China might be ahead of us on, on that as well as in other things.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Certainly by the way that you're talking about that Marshall on the plane, I think that's an awesome thing. One of my bugbears traveling is people who don't put their phone into flight mode. It really bothers me. And knowing that there was some guy who was going to come and tell them to turn it off because the cabin crew never know and they don't seem to check. But that guy, I, I'd, I'd like him very much. <laughs> I'd be applauding his presence.
0: Yeah. And bo- both you and I cover tech. We are s- sort of specialized in mobile. We know that when your phone is, isn't in flight mode on a plane, it's constantly trying to pick up a signal. That's when the phone potentially is at its most dangerous. You're in mm. a pressurized cabin. Uh, you have this uh, continuous wake-up and use of radios to try and pick up a signal. And that's when devices tend to get warm, especially if they're in a bag. That is when they're at the most dangerous. So public service announcement, if you are flying, remember to go into flight mode. And if not, just switch the device off altogether. Uh, it will make everyone safer. It's a good way of traveling when... Traveling by plane. Definitely. Andy, you mentioned Japan, another in a way uh, world leader in terms of technology, also in in mobile technology. Uh, this seems to be for looking at your 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 Twitter feed. Seems to be one of your personal passions. Tell me why Japan is important in your Twitter feed and why why Japan you enjoy Japan. So i visited twice.
1: Um, and i've enjoyed it uh, a lot each time it's my favorite place that i've ever been to Um, i like japanese music so when i go i have the opportunity to um, see live shows and see performers who i don't ever get the chance to see outside of japan because it's fairly specific and you only get very limited opportunity to see those singers internationally Um, that's definitely the important part for me and my Twitter feed um, when I visit it's not just that I like I like it has those special things that make a place worth visiting for me first is culture and people both of which are I love the people the culture is extremely interesting it's incredibly clean it's very well organized um, and uh, the food is astonishing so. It's all of those things that I want to go for, and it does it so well. There is no other
0: place for me quite like it. So you and I are residents of the United Kingdom. Um, I think you've just mentioned everything apart from the food that I consider to be a good thing about the UK. We're (laughs) both insular societies, very well organized, apart from our trains. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The people are excellent. The UK is a great place apart from the food. I'm just joking, <laughs> uh, I <laughs> uh, but no, that that's very interesting. So you you say you've been a couple of times. I was following you uh, on Twitter last time you visited Japan. Uh, it's it is a very uh, very different place. I'm really hoping to be able to organize going to Japan later this year, not only to visit Japan because there's, but also because there's a Rugby World Cup on there. And I have high hopes that both Italy and Scotland may make it there. That's cool. Then I have no doubt that
1: you will have a fantastic time because it will run like clockwork. You won't have to worry about anything not happening at the right time or not being clear where you're going. uh, As a newcomer to Japan, you'll be um, very looked after, I'm sure.
0: And I've also seen, speak, speaking about rail, uh, that they have a Hello Kitty-themed uh, Shinkaza train. This is a Hello Kitty-themed high-speed train. So I really, really want to see that.
1: When I went to Taiwan last year, I flew with uh, Everair Air or Eva Air, whichever it is, um, and they're the ones who operate the Hello Kitty airplane. And when returning from Taipei, I got the chance to see the dedicated Hello Kitty check-in area at the airport. It's not just any old check-in desk, it's Hello Kitty world, literally (laughs) with Hello Kitty themed check-in desks and a specific area through which you go through to be in a Hello Kitty bubble, literally before you get on the plane. The stewards and stewardesses have Hello Kitty themed uniforms and bags and it's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing.
0: So it's a whole Hello Kitty lifestyle experience. It most certainly is. But they only do it on, I think,
1: one or two routes. One was to somewhere in the US, definitely. So there was no way they were going to go that right sa- for me.
0: That sounds awesome. So lifestyle experiences seem to be a, a theme, not only whether you're flying a Hello Kitty uh, aircraft and going through Hello Kitty check-in, but... Uh, I believe ANA, the Japanese airline, have Star Wars themed aircraft, and uh, moving back to what we're, uh, our bread and butter is, to consumer electronics, lifestyle seems to be quite a big thing when it comes to to devices, so we, you and I cover the mobile beat. It's not just about mobile phones, it's about having the surrounding e- ecosystem that gives you a lifestyle experience. What brands stand out for you, being able to offer that at the moment?
1: I think the only one who does it properly is Apple. I don't think anybody has the same coherent lifestyle experience that Apple does. Samsung tries, and others try with some of these very, very um, limited, special edition products that they'll make out to try and make it a lifestyle device. But Apple is the only one who does it without the need for that. So you've got cases made by Ted Baker that go with your wireless charger made by Ted Baker. And then you've got your Apple Watch, which then can have a Hermes band if you're that rich, or you can then spend the same amount of money on dozens and dozens of third party bands that customize your watch in a very unique way. And then when you're bored of that, the next week you can do something completely different. So it's not limited to one brand. There are just so many customization options. And I think that they do that really, really well.
0: Yeah. Apple being, in a way, a master of this because they have a very well-established and polished uh, retail experience so you can walk into an apple store and have a pretty much consistent experience wherever you are in the world so uh, just recently candace and i had uh, a macau experience of an apple store and uh, a hong kong one within a few days of each other and having been through china and seen quite a few different experience stores lifestyle experience stores of other brands i would say the apple ones were the the most consistent i'm also no stranger to apple stores around europe and the us so yes I, i agree with you apple is is the master of this yeah uh so you you do you use an iphone on a daily basis
1: yeah i do i think
0: um
1: i think my job is easier when i use multiple devices so i'll always have an iPhone, and an Android phone with me. Very That's good.
0: And what's your, especially when travelling, what's your main computer for, for work? So I have a trusty
1: 2014 11-inch MacBook Air. That is wow. My, that is wow! Outdoor laptop. So <laughs> I have my MacBook Pro at home, connected to a monitor, but it's heavy and annoying, so I have the MacBook Air to take with me. And that small size, it's fantastic, despite the enormous bezel around the screen.
0: The, the MacBook Air being one of the most successful form factors for computers ever. Um, it's an iconic device and perfectly functional to nowadays, despite its five-year-old age. Yeah, Apple's integration of software and hardware is is close is is a, a distant first in the industry. They really have that wrapped up, uh, for better or worse. And that's very interesting to hear that you're, you're quite happy with your 2014 MacBook. Might be
1: 2016, right? thinking about it now. It might be, might be that my MacBook Pro is a 2014. I forget, but okay. it's certainly not new. It's definitely yeah. fairly old.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's great to hear. Uh, so, so you've got uh, an iPhone, uh, a MacBook. Do you use a, an Apple Watch?
1: Um, I do, yeah. Um, I'm a watch guy, and uh, I'm a wearables person, too. I'm very interested in wearable tech, and um, this is going to make me sound like such an Apple fanboy. The Apple Watch, in my opinion, is by far the best uh, smartwatch you can buy. It's it's superb.
0: Beyond- it is. It, it is a great device. Um, sadly, I'm not in the Apple ecosystem, as in I don't use Apple devices on a daily basis, so I can't. Uh, make a full judgment on it but from what I see from friends and family using uh, Apple devices including the Apple watch it seems to be a a great product what is uh, in your bag when you travel for example if you had to leave today's Friday if you had to leave on Monday for a trip uh, a four-day trip what would be in your bag apart from toiletries and clothing (laughs)
1: It's just assuming that it's a... I was gonna ask if this was assuming it was a work trip, but almost all of my trips, even if it is for pleasure, turn into a work trip. So it tends to be, well, I'll just take everything regardless. So my MacBook Air, for sure, um, usually minimum of four phones because every trip is an opportunity to do a camera comparison. So there'll be four recent phones whatever recent iPhone and uh, a variety of Android devices. Um, I'll take my Kindle. My Kindle's essential. Um, And then it's headphones. There will always be two pairs.
0: Very good. And when you say headphones, is it full-on headphones, cans like the ones I'm wearing, or earphones?
1: So it'll be both. I want over-ears or on-ears for the flight, I and mean, I don't mind having in-ears uh, for ease of transport when I've not got all of my stuff because as you well know, anything that goes over your ear, it's, uh, <laughs> it takes up plenty of space and quite often I just don't want to carry them around. Or the, the wonderful advancement of true wireless in-ear headphones is, is fabulous so we don't even need to take wires anywhere.
0: Very good. So what, what are your two headphones of choice at the moment or earphones of choice?
1: So I use um actually we've got them right here. Handling. These are the Audio Technica ATH M50X. Um and they're sort of studio headphones with added um street appeal. But they sound unbelievable, absolutely superb. And they're not in terms of bluetooth headphones that expensive they're sort of 150 pounds something like that it's not a bit less and for bluetooth headphones that's pretty good when they sound as as stunning as these and they're not heavy and they fold up and they're
0: really really awesome i seem to remember vlad savov of the verge giving them a very good write-up uh he, he seemed to be quite quite happy with them yes I so,
1: same thing and he's absolutely correct they really are awesome <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what's your in-ear headphone of choice? So I use the
1: um, the Master and Dynamic NW07s, which are true wireless. Um, they come in this awesome chrome uh, little tiny box somewhere, but not to hand. And it almost looks like a Zippo lighter until you open it, and then you've got the little two little headphones inside, and they sound really excellent because they. They're not like uh, AirPods. They actually uh, isolate sound in your ear, so they sound much better. They look pretty cool, not like AirPods, and I think they're really, really the best ones that I've tried over the last year or so. Really excellent.
0: Very good. And in terms of phones, you mentioned you'd take three or four of them with you. What what would you take if you were to leave on Monday?
1: (sighs) On Monday, wow. Well, the View 20, for sure. Um, I would take its main competitor, the OnePlus 6T. Um, I'd take my iPhone because it's a a good benchmark, and I'd probably take the Pixel 3 too to see how those two um, sensibly priced phones, the View 20 and the OnePlus 6T, go up against phones that are considerably more expensive, but uh, the cameras are well known to to be superb. So they'd probably be my four of choice for any trip on Monday.
0: Excellent. That sounds r- like a really good comparison. So i you get
1: back to you now, so I'll, I'll expect to listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right out, <off>, Andy.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm not planning any travel until MWC later uh, in February. I'm sure we'll meet up there at some point. Without a doubt. Um, If you or any of the Tech Travel Geeks podcast listeners happen to be at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, you can probably find me roaming the halls, especially on Monday, Uh, wearing a kilt and a Skyscanner hoodie, because I will be there officially representing my employer, Skyscanner. Um, Lukasz from Tech Travel Geeks, he should be there as well. Uh, So if you see us, just feel free to come and have a chat. Uh, It's always a very interesting experience. Barcelona is already an awesome city, but MWC just gives it that extra liveliness and that extra pleasant chaos that's, uh, I think it's unique. Even Berlin with IFA doesn't come close to the experience of NWC in in February or early March. Andy, will you be at NWC this year? I will
1: be indeed. I will uh, be at the show for pretty much the duration and uh, a little bit before. So I can't wait. I agree with you. It's uh, without a doubt the best trade show that you can possibly go to. Um Even if you're not a mobile person, it's it's really exciting and uh, there's always cool stuff to see there. And
0: it's yes, awesome. the, the the lifestyle stuff has, in a way, in the last few years, seeped into MWC. It's about more than just mobile. Mm. Uh, all these big consumer electronics businesses are trying to, to make it a lifestyle brand to gain customers' loyalty. Whether it's fridges, freezers, washing machines... They all integrate and connect to your mobile phone in one way or another. And those brands are there to also try and convince you to buy everything from them. So, yes, MWC 2019, lots of interesting things uh, coming up. Obviously, we won't be able to talk about much because either we don't know about it or we have some very strict NDAs. (laughs) Uh, But, yes, interesting time in that space. We will be traveling there. Obviously, I'm going to be travelling by plane. How about you, Andy? How will you be travelling to, to the event?
1: Yes, same as me. Um, the usual Heathrow to Barcelona airport <laughs> at uh, that same flight that many, many other journalists will inevitably be taking.
0: Yes. Um, it, there seems to be two, two preferred routes to Barcelona uh, where most of the press who know each other by face and by name uh, tend to meet up. It can usually be at uh, Heathrow Terminal 5, usually in the British Airways lounge, we all meet up there if people are connecting through Heathrow or just flying from Heathrow. And the other one is Amsterdam Schiphol, where I'll be flying through, and is also a, a big place for our US colleagues who fly with Delta. So um, give us a shout out if you you two are going to be traveling via Amsterdam Schiphol or London Heathrow, it would be great to catch up, not just at the trade show. <laughs> so, Andy, uh, we've talked about what's in your bag in terms of phones. Uh, what chargers do you use? Obviously, you've got lots of mobile devices, lots of headphones that need charging, a MacBook. Do you have any particular charger that you you think is is good? Um, I
1: don't actually carry them very often. I'm very bad at remembering to charge them. So I'll use power banks and that sort of thing and then forget to charge them and just and if I carry it it's then next uses. Um, I tend to stick with an Apple charger that then I plug in somebody else's cable because it's easiest and I have they're very, very handy international travel pack because the charger, if you haven't seen an Apple charger, it uh, comes in two parts and you slip the plug off and you plug a new plug on and then it just plugs into your wool socket wherever you are in the world. So it comes with the European one, the uh, US one and a Korean one and various other things and it's super helpful. So I just tend to carry a couple of those.
0: That's great. Uh, Yes, the the Apple chargers are well-designed and reliable uh, in multiple different types of outlets, so Mm -hmm. that's a very good thing. Um, And what's your – obviously, you've mentioned you take your MacBook, your phones and everything. What bag would you put those things in? Do you have a preferred bag? (laughs) So bags – I'm laughing because if you'd have asked me
1: this, Maybe a month ago, I probably would have said, I have no idea what bag I would take or care about. But I got the opportunity to use a bag from a company called STM. And they're very well known and they've made bags for a very long time and they're very well established. And I've used them before. They sent me a new bag called the STM Myth. And without a doubt, it is the only bag that every many, many people have stopped me and said, wow, that's a nice bag. What's that? I was stopped at security at an airport after going through. Somebody said, excuse me. I thought, oh, I don't like being stopped at (laughs) this point. And I turned around and I said, that's a really cool bag. Who makes that? I have never had this before at CES. Almost everybody I met said, that's a nice bag. STM Myth in Windsor Wine, this is the bag for you. (laughs) It's absolutely fantastic. Great bag, looks fantastic, is lightweight, slim, and super comfortable.
0: Very good. So I'll include links to that and all the other products we've discussed in the show notes. You
1: can visit Digital Trends and read my product impressions of the Myth. Because I was so impressed, I wrote about it.
0: Very good. No, that, that's excellent. Um, so you, you, you like the bag so much it became part of digital trends. That's <laughs> true endorsement. <laughs> Very good. So uh, obviously, apart from trade shows, uh, you travel for pleasure as well. Uh, what, what's your next upcoming trip, or what's a memorable trip you've been on recently, apart from Japan.
1: Well, Japan was the last place that I traveled to for personal reasons. Everything after that has been work-related travel. Um, I think next I'm planning to return to Taiwan. I really liked it when I was there in November. Um, and I got to see a little bit, but I wanted to go back and have a proper Taiwanese experience. So I think Taiwan, maybe in April or May, is my next trip. Very good. Very early days for trying to organize that. (laughs) Um, And it's, uh, yeah, that'll be exciting because it's somewhere I've not done on my own. You know as well as I do, if you go on a work trip, you tend to be looked after very well and you're not thinking too much about where you're staying or what you're doing. It'll be very different to go and actually do that there instead yeah. of being uh, chaperoned.
0: And so shout out to uh, our colleague and friend Alex Doby, who <laughs> seems to spend a lot of time in Taiwan. Uh, he is another person who covel- covers the mobile industry and posts a lot of impressive pictures from Taiwan uh, using a variety of mobile devices. So shout out to Alex. Uh, we-, we will see you soon at some event or another. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Taiwan. That's a very interesting uh, place. One of my colleagues, David, is is from Taiwan, and uh, I've been reading up on the tea culture in Taiwan. So it's something we, we Candice and I, did in China. We went tea tasting, and saw what the experience is like. It's a bit like wine tasting is in California or in Italy or France or Australia. Uh, You get to taste a lot of things and always end up spending a lot of money on the product itself. (laughs) So hopefully you get to have that experience in Taiwan. I hear that they have uh, a very strong tea culture there.
1: They do. Uh, A friend of mine is sending me over a tea care package so that I can get prepared for uh, Taiwanese tea in in England. So I'm very much looking forward to that, having my own tea tasting here in in London, ready to prepare to go and do the same properly in Taiwan.
0: Very good. Yes, uh, Taiwan has a number of very photogenic uh, tea plantations from what I see. So I will definitely be looking you up on Instagram to see what that experience is like. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's the uh, the organization bit I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> if only there were a website I could recommend for planning travel. <laughs> if only! <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have
1: thought that wasn't a well-planned segue. <laughs> uh,
0: if only there were a website like that. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I'm obviously very biased in this uh, respect, uh, but there are a number of options. Uh, I would say... The internet has made searching for and planning travel much easier. Uh, in a way, it's it's broken the average consumer's dependency on travel agencies in their traditional form. So, it really, the internet has revolutionized travel in terms of planning and and the actual booking process. Mm. Uh, how do you, th- Andy? How do you think travel will be improved in the coming years? By consumer electronics, the beat we cover, mobile devices and accessories. How do you think that will get better in coming years?
1: get better
0: or get worse. Uh, we obviously we've dis- discussed the downsides of yeah. power banks and mobile phone use on on aircraft. Well, that's what
1: I I think is a is a worry because I'm not sure that anything beyond what we have now in flight as an experience can get better because i like the isolation i don't want to have my phone working i like not to have wi-fi i won't pay for it i'd like that time in the plane to be mine and if everybody else is suddenly able to do all of the things they do on the ground i think flying will become a worse experience than it is now um i'd like to think that mobile devices and in particular wearable products might help the worst part of travel that we have now which is that process of getting into the airport and through to the plane. What we have now is that that interesting mixture, mixture of biometrics to identify ourselves on our devices. and Wouldn't it be lovely if that biometric information could be used more effectively to speed and ease our process of check-in and security and making our way to the plane. I'd really like something to be done to make that a more pleasurable experience. And I hope that in some way, the mobile device and the forthcoming introduction of faster and more um, effective data will somehow be able to do that with far cleverer minds than mine, working out how to do it.
0: Yes, that's one of the, the big promises of the next generation of mobile or 5G is how it will enable wearables and other devices to be constantly connected, maybe even luggage tags, and to be able to to verify our identity better and faster.
1: Okay. So, yes,
0: I completely agree with you that, that one of the biggest friction points of travel, especially air travel and international air travel, is that whole security and verifying your identity. Yeah when you walk up to the gate and you have to make sure that you have your passport open at the photograph page and your boarding pass, which most likely is on your mobile phone, that becomes a bit of a juggling experience if you have a, a bag in the other hand.
1: Yeah. And if there's no opportunity um, at the airport that you go to, to have a scanner use your passport, which you have when you come back to the UK, you put your Uh, Passport into the automated gate, it does its thing, and you're out. And I think that is an example of how it should be everywhere for all different aspects of that check-in and get-through security process. It shouldn't be so hands-on and laborious and time-consuming. There must be an easier way, and I understand that people need to be involved, but wouldn't it be lovely if a lot of that was more automated?
0: Yes, that, that's that's one of our, our dreams. Um, the other thing, obviously, you you met you've mentioned travel to countries where maybe not everyone speaks uh, speaks English or our languages of choice. Uh, what's your view on translators, digital translators as an app or dedicated devices? Have they made your life be easier? Do you think they can get better?
1: I think they they i don't think they're even close to being good enough yet from what i've used because if pointing uh google lens or whatever it is at a sign you get a a fairly accurate translation in most languages that's where it stops being helpful if you're trying to use it to get taxi information tell a taxi driver where to go and they reply and it's this incredibly lengthy process which often doesn't work, and certainly doesn't work if you haven't got data, and uh, they don't understand the nuance of language yet. We're a long way away from those universal translators that we may all dream of. I mean, I don't know whether you've used those things and found they <laughs> simply don't work as you hoped they would, it's a uh, promising, um, exciting tech.
0: So I I make it work. Um, I start from the view uh, that when I was a teenager, this stuff was still stuff of dreams. Uh, therefore, I'm very enthusiastic and try and use it as much as possible. I do know that the likes of Google and Microsoft depend on people like me experimenting and failing at using it to be able to learn and improve the service. So I do so quite enthusiastically. But there are some, have been some situations where it doesn't always work great. Uh, for example, There's been uh, one time uh, last year I was with some of our colleagues from the Czech Republic, Greece, and Romania, and myself. We had just been to a smartphone launch near Shanghai. Uh, We were at the Meizu launch. And uh, on the way back to Shanghai, we had some time. uh, So we went into Shanghai for dinner and found a restaurant that would accept a Western form of payment in the form of MasterCard, because not all places in China do accept those, um, and sat down and ordered. Obviously, the staff in the restaurant did not speak English or any of the languages we spoke, so we relied on Google Translate to interact with the waitress. So she took our order, and a few minutes later, she came back and asked us, something in Chinese so we put it through Google Translate and the output was uh, something along the lines of if uh, you are small peasants it's 24 (laughs) and we didn't really understand but we assumed that the original message was okay so we said okay please go ahead Google Translate gave the message and she walked away and instead of a tray which we assumed was 24 dumplings of dim sum 24 trays of six arrived <laughs> so we're small peasants and we managed to eat all these dumplings <laughs> but this is a, a light-hearted funny thing that we can laugh about uh, sadly there are other situations where it's not great especially when it involves metro stops and uh, travel in in practical terms you might get off in the wrong place and be completely lost but I I'm very positive I hope that the technology gets better and to the point where it works offline well enough to be able to travel to a place like China have a pleasant travel experience without uh, some of the friction that being in a very different part of the world with different cultures can be an issue
1: yeah absolutely
0: i mean i i've had the similar
1: experience to yours but mine was more frustrating because it was in a taxi and trying to then say well i want to go to this place translating that using this was in japan and then the driver saying in japanese back and when he's trying to drive when we're trying to get to a place it was so lengthy and the app would never quite get everything because you're in a car you're moving the data connectivity wasn't great it just became unworkable and you end up just showing them the address rather than trying to communicate that you want somewhere very specific within that area so that 5g dream again of low latency and uh, plenty of
0: speed is where that will be enhanced Yes. Um, you mentioned the taxi. What's your view on ride-sharing or taxi apps such as Uber, Grab, uh, Halo, or MyTaxi?
1: Um, I'm not a fan of Uber particularly. I don't think the company um, has made significant strides towards the things that, that were unpleasant about the company last year or the year before for that matter. Um, I tend not to use them because I travel in London quite a lot and the London black cab experience is far more pleasurable than an Uber and I support black cabs in London when I can rather than getting Uber. I, I also never find it any cheaper which is the only reason I'd want to use Uber. Um, I live near Gatwick and there's a Gatwick service of taxis. And from Gatwick to where I live, it costs about £11, fairly expensive for a very short journey. A 20-minute wait made me use Uber to get that same journey, and Uber charged me £18.
0: Ooh, interesting. Was this with surge pricing or just the standard pricing? No, with surge pricing. Okay, right. So that's an interesting uh, change. So if I'd have just been patient for my 20 minutes, I'd have yeah. been less than, than the Uber experience.
1: And I, I'm not quite sure that's... Uh...
0: And have you used any of London's competitors to, to Uber? Uh, some, some that actually do use the black cabs, so they act as a, a go-between, such as Halo or Viavan or, or Get?
1: Halo I've used, and the experience was fine. It was, uh, it's a solidly designed app, and I never had any issues with it. I haven't used the others. I've used Lyft in the US, and I think it's MyTaxi in Barcelona and uh, places like that.
0: Yes, but MyTaxi is a, is a separate brand, but part of the same company as Halo. It's the oh, same, same app, just different branding for different markets.
1: I find them so unreliable. <laughs> I really <laughs> never enjoy the experience where you ask somebody to come and get you, and they. I've had so many experiences where they can't find you. Yet you'll say, well, I'm here, and they never quite get to where you are, and then eventually they give up. Well, I've been through all of this. I don't know why I'm using you if you don't do what I want you to do. I find them very frustrating. I never have a good
0: experience with (laughs) (laughs) someone. I'm just cursed with them. Just get in the back of a taxi and say, follow that car. (laughs) (laughs) If If only life were that simple. Yes. Right, that's great. Um, Is there, apart from what you've been writing recently, both on mobile devices and bags on Digital Trends, what other things are you working on or what would you like to shout out about, Andy? Um, This weekend on Digital Trends, there
1: is an opinion piece written by myself. I very much enjoy writing opinion pieces, and this is on the spread of badly designed mobile keyboards. We are entering a time where bezels are a thing of the past on smartphones and people are having to deal with this. I will show you what I mean. The keyboard is at the bottom of the phone. There is no chin. And to use this, I must really awkwardly hold the phone and my fingers do not bend comfortably down here. I think this is a serious problem with something we all do with our phones, which is type. And it's only going to get worse because we're about to enter a year of folding smartphones and even more bezel-less smartphones. And until people start to pay attention to properly designing virtual keyboards on our phones,
0: we are all going to have very badly shaped phones. <laughs> so if
1: you can read my opinion, please. Okay.
0: Very good. Uh, that sounds very interesting. So that will be on digital trends. Yes, this weekend. Excellent. Sound sounds great. I, I look forward to reading that. <laughs> um yes, that's maybe Google are onto something with that bottom notch. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. So that's great. So Digital Trends uh, is where you write. Uh, People can follow you on Twitter, and the handle is Andy Boxall, all all one one word. Yeah. And the same on Instagram as well. And the same on Instagram, yes. So go out there, uh, listeners and watchers of the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. Please do uh, subscribe to Andy, both on Instagram and Twitter, and also follow his writings on Digital Trends. Yeah, and please
1: uh, he, do say hello when you do, if you do so. Yes, just alert me that you've come from here. Uh, that would be really nice.
0: It's it's more than than just his thought pieces. It's also some interesting views from Japan and the Japanese music scene, uh, which I quite enjoy. I've learned a lot about the the Je- Japanese music scene in the Good. last few years. Uh, and thank you for being our guest on the podcast. Thank
1: you, um, thank you for having me.
0: This has been episode 17 of the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. Uh, You may have watched this on our YouTube channel. And if you aren't already, please do subscribe to Tech Travel Geeks on YouTube. If, on the other hand, you've downloaded this podcast from Apple Podcasts, from Pocket Casts, TuneIn Radio, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from, including Google Podcasts, uh, thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing. Uh, we are working on improving our tune-in integration so that you can invoke uh, the Tech Travel Geeks podcast through Amazon's Echo eco, ecosystem of digital assistants. Uh, we're still working on that, and I've just struggled to not say her name. But thank you for listening. We shall be back next week with another episode with another guest. Hopefully, Lukash will be available from Miami this next episode. But thanks. Thank you again, Andy, for being our guest. It was great speaking to you and learning more about the traditional journalist behind uh, the person, or wait, the person behind the traditional journalist. (laughs) I forget. But again, thank you for being our guest. And I'm sure that if we don't speak to each other before, then we'll bump into each other in Barcelona. Most definitely. Look forward to it. Great. So thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, That's everything from us. Any feedback to our Twitter handle at Tech Travel Geeks or my Twitter handle at Todaleo? And uh, we'll also respond to any comments on the YouTube uh, channel or on techtravelgeeks.com. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.